Section 43 of Shakespeare Identified. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Shakespeare Identified in Edward de Vere. Section 43. From 1603 to 1608, according to this record, no single play was printed and published for the first time. Even supposing there are mistakes and oversights in these notes, there is still a large enough margin for us to affirm confidently that the publication of Shakespeare's plays was arrested in a marked degree for several years after the death of Edward de Vere. We may add that this arrested publication is fully borne out by Professor Dowden's table, Sir Sidney Lee's account, and every other record we have seen. This gives us the third and probably the most telling of our arguments from the posthumous standpoint. If again we turn to the issuing of mere reprints, entailing no literary work, properly speaking, we find that after 1604 there was nothing reprinted until 1608, except the two popular plays of Hamlet and Richard III, for which we might judge there would be a considerable demand, and even these were only reprinted once, namely in 1605. It would therefore seem that all kinds of issues, including even pirated and surreptitious editions, as well as mere reprints, were definitely checked at the time of Oxford's death. A fact which should give Shakespearean scholars furiously to think, respecting much of the so-called pirated work. So complete an arrest of publication at this precise moment is almost startling in its character. The slight resumption which took place after an interval of four years is not less striking. In 1608 and 1609 there was a slight revival of Shakespearean publication, involving, however, only three plays and the sonnets. Nothing else was newly published until Othello in 1622, and the folio edition of Shakespeare in 1623, six and seven years respectively after the death of the Stratford Shakespeare. Even according to the Stratfordian view, then, the most of Shakespeare's works were published posthumously. In the folio edition no less than twenty out of the thirty-seven so-called Shakespearean plays were printed and published for the first time, so far as anything has yet been discovered. Of the three plays appearing in this temporary revival, one is Pericles, which was published in 1609, the same year as the sonnets appeared. Now the manner of the publication of these two, Pericles and the sonnets, is as strong a confirmation as could be wished for that the dramatist himself was by this time dead. We shall take Pericles first, quoting again the Falstaff notes. Pericles is mainly from other hands than Shakespeare's, probably those of Wilkins and Rowley. It was first published in quarto in 1609, with the following title. Pericles, as it hath been divers times acted by His Majesty's servants at the Globe, by William Shakespeare. 
This play was therefore issued with the full imprimatur of William Shakespeare and the Globe Theatre, although it is mainly from other hands than Shakespeare's. Contrast this with the plays issued during the life of De Vere under the Shakespeare nom de plume. They are 1598, Love's Labor's Lost, 1600, Henry IV, Part Two, The Merchant of Venice, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Much Ado About Nothing. 1602, The Merry Wives of Windsor, Pirated. 1603, Hamlet, Curtailed and Pirated. 1604, Hamlet, Authorized. Leaving out of consideration the plays published in 1597 and 1598 without any author's name attached, the important point to notice is the character of the plays which received the Shakespeare imprimatur up to the time of the death of de Vere. No one would venture to say of any one of these that it was mainly from other hands than Shakespeare's. Whatever opinion he might hold as to the quality or completeness of the play itself. It is of interest, too, that although Titus Andronicus was published in the same period, it was without the name of Shakespeare. The natural conclusion is that when, in 1609, Pericles was published, with all the éclat of a genuine Shakespearean play, the controlling hand of Shakespeare himself had been removed. Those who were directing matters may have believed it to have been his, what is more probable is that it was they who had called in assistance to finish a play which he had left unfinished. Take now the issue of the sonnets, a problem that has agitated and puzzled the literary world for so long. We need not at present discuss the question of who W.H. and T.T. may have been, or attempt to clear up the mystery of their association with the publication of these poems but ninety percent of the mystery of the publication disappears, as soon as we suppose, a posthumous issue. Indeed, the dedication to the sonnets has been telling us, for three hundred years, in the plainest of terms, that the writer was already dead. It may be a curiosity of language, but it is nevertheless a fact that we only speak of a man being ever living after he is actually dead and in the dedication of the sonnets their author is referred to as our ever-living poet. Who, then, was this ever-living poet? Surely not the man who, to all appearances, had deserted or was preparing to desert the high interests of literature and drama, and attend to his land and houses at Stratford, and who was being completely ignored by those who were issuing the full literary text of what were supposed to be his great personal poems. Neither is it likely that our ever-living poet was, at that moment, discharging the functions of solicitor-general with his eye upon the woolsack, or planning his great instauration. To suppose that a set of no less than one hundred and fifty sonnets, many of them of exquisite quality, touching the most private experiences and sentiments of a great genius, whose work proclaims an almost fastidious regard on his part for his productions, could, while he was yet alive, have found their way into print, surreptitiously, with strange initials attached, 
without his knowledge, consent, signature, or immediate and emphatic protest, is as extravagant a supposition as could be imagined. Yet all this is implied in the Stratfordian theory of authorship. The only hypothesis that adequately explains the situation is that the poet himself was dead, and his manuscript had passed into other hands. The dedication itself proclaims the fact, and the simultaneous issue of Pericles confirms it. We shall close the discussion of these two publications with a sentence bearing on each from Sir Sidney Lee's Life of Shakespeare. Pericles, quote, The bombastic form of title shows that Shakespeare had no hand in the publication, unquote. 1609. Sonnets, quote, He, Shakespeare, cannot be credited with any responsibility for the publication of Thorpe's collection of his sonnets in 1609, unquote. In respect to the other two plays published in 1608 to 1609, it will be enough to give the following quotations from the same work. King Lear, quote, was defaced by many gross typographical errors. Some of the sheets were never subjected to any correction of the press. The publisher, Butter, endeavored to make some reparation by issuing a second quarto which was designed to free the text of the most obvious incoherences of the first quarto. But the effort was not successful. Uncorrected sheets disfigured the second quarto little less conspicuously than the first. Unquote. Troilus and Cressida Quote, Exceptional obscurity attaches to the circumstances of the publication. After a pompous title-page, there was inserted for the first time in the case of a play by Shakespeare that was published in his lifetime an advertisement or preface. The publishers paid bombastic and high-flown compliments to Shakespeare, and defiantly boasted that the grand possessors of the manuscript deprecated its publication." Unquote. This is the particular play which we pointed out in an earlier chapter probably contains the matter of Oxford's early play of Agamemnon and Ulysses. William Shakespeare of Stratford was evidently not even the holder of the manuscript in this instance, and certainly the expression, grand possessors, is worth attention. The point that matters, however, is that neither the author himself, nor the owners of the authentic manuscript, had anything to do with this particular publication and, as the same has been shown to be true of the author's relation to the other three issues of this period, all four, without exception, give unmistakable support to the views we are now advocating. This, then, is the position. We have a flood of Shakespearean plays being published authentically right up to the year before the death of Edward de Vere. Then a sudden stop and nothing more published with any appearance of proper authorization for nearly twenty years. Although the reputed author was alive and active during twelve of these years, we have no hesitation in saying that the simple fact we have enunciated in our last sentence furnishes an argument it is hardly possible to strengthen further. 
Decisive as may appear the fact we have just stated, there remains one other consideration which brings us into still closer contact with the actual date of Oxford's death. It will be seen that on either the Stratfordian or the De Vere theory, the last play published with any appearance of proper authorization during Shakespeare's lifetime was Hamlet. An examination of the facts connected with the printing of this play is therefore of special importance. We have included it in the 1597 to 1603 period because a quarto edition of it appeared in the last year of this period. The 1603 quarto edition, however, is described by Sir Sidney Lee as, quote, a piratical and carelessly transcribed copy of Shakespeare's first draft of the play, unquote. In 1604, the second quarto edition, he tells us, was published, quote, from a more complete and accurate manuscript, unquote. He further adds, quote, the concluding words of the title page were intended to stamp its predecessor as surreptitious and unauthentic, but it is clear that the second quarto was not a perfect version of the play. A third version figured in the folio of 1623, here many passages not to be found in the quartos appeared for the first time, but a few others that appear in the quartos are omitted. The folio text probably came nearest to the original manuscript, unquote. Now, with an interval of nearly twenty years between the second and third versions of a play, which had evidently been subjected to constant revision and development, whilst simple reprints of the second edition had appeared in the interval, what is the natural inference in view of the facts already pointed out? Simply that the author was removed by death whilst actually engaged upon the particular play at the time when the second quarto was published, namely 1604, the exact year of the death of Edward de Vere. We feel quite justified in claiming that Shakespeare, whoever he may have been, died in 1604, almost in the act of revising Hamlet, just as at a later day Goethe died almost in the act of finishing his greatest work, Faust. Of the first folio edition of Shakespeare's plays, 1623, we shall again quote a passage from Sir Sidney Lee. Quote, John Hemming and Henry Condell were nominally responsible for the venture, but it seems to have been suggested by a small syndicate of printers and publishers who undertook all pecuniary responsibility. The dedication was signed by Hemming and Condell. The same signatures were appended to a succeeding address. In both addresses the actors made pretension to a larger responsibility for the enterprise than they really incurred. Unquote. In a word, they were being employed as a blind, and their part was overdone. It is evident, at any rate, that the initiative did not come from the two actors. As, therefore, they formed the only connecting link between the Stratford Shakespeare and the publication of the plays, it is obvious that they had been brought into the business in order to throw a veil over others who did not wish to appear in it. The silence of William Shakespeare's will respecting these important manuscripts has already received attention. 
The further fact that the plays now published for the first time were not from the curtailed play-actors' copies, such as had furnished the text of several pirated issues, but the full literary text, in some instances as we have seen in the case of Hamlet, even improved versions of plays that had already enjoyed a proper literary publication, has also been considered and ought to dispose completely of the claim that the collection had been brought together by actors from the stores of unspecified theatre managers, or fished up out of the lumber-rooms behind the scenes. Such a view does not accord with common sense, and would hardly have been credited in any other connection. The only feasible supposition is that the documents had been in the safe-keeping of responsible people, and that the death seven years before of the man who had formerly served as a mask rendered necessary the Hemming and Condell subterfuge, if the incognito was to be preserved. In a word, the resumption of authorized publication, after being arrested for eighteen or nineteen years, is marked by the same elements of mysteriousness and secrecy in which everything connecting the man and his work has been involved, and furnishes its own quota of evidence that the master's hand had been removed for very many years. Not only does the time of the death of de Vere mark an arrest in the publication of Shakespeare's works, it also marks, according to orthodox authorities, some kind of a crisis in the affairs of William Shakespeare. Charles and Mary Coden Clark, in The Life of Shakespeare, published along with their edition of the plays, date his retirement to Stratford in the year 1604 precisely. After pointing out that in 1605 he is described as William Shakespeare, a gentleman of Stratford-on-Avon, they continued, quote, several things conduced to make him resolve upon ceasing to be an actor, and 1604 has generally been considered the date when he did so." Unquote. Several other writers, less well known, repeat this date, and works of reference, written for the most part some years ago, place his retirement in the same year. Quote, there is no doubt he ever meant to return to London, except for business visits, after 1604, unquote, National Encyclopedia. This is probably the most exact and startling synchronism furnished by Stratfordians. We have elsewhere given reasons for our belief that his actual retirement from London was much earlier than this. The fact that this date has been chosen is evidence, however, that Shakespearean records are indicative of some crisis at this precise time. More recent authorities, finding it necessary probably to give a date more in accord with accepted ideas as to the writing of the plays, and the continuance of William Shakespeare's material interests in London, have added eight or nine years to this, during which time his forces are supposed to have been divided between Stratford and London, but during which period he has left no traces of domiciliation in London, and no, quote, incidents, unquote. In either case, the time of de Vere's death corresponds to the time assigned for William Shakespeare's retirement, partial or complete. The latter's work in London was practically done, 
and he could no longer remain in constant contact with the old life without a danger that the part he had played as mask to a great genius should be detected. End of section 43 Recording by David Martin